Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I'm the Youth Director here at Sardis Fellowship. To find info on our speaker and series, please check the podcast description. Thanks for listening, and enjoy! Good morning. It's good to see you here today. Here's what I want to do this morning. First, I want to share with you an essential biblical principle. And then the second thing I'd like to do is to ask the so what question. That is, how will we respond to this essential biblical principle? So let's begin with the essential biblical principle. This summer, Em and I were on a hike, and we walked through a section of the trail that was overgrown with stinging nettles. We carefully made our way along, and although we did quite well, I brushed up against one that was ankle height that I couldn't see. Now, the reason why I'm telling you this is because of something we observed, and this is our essential biblical principle for the morning. We didn't see any plums growing on those nettle bushes. And on the other hand, we had an amazing Italian prune plum tree in our yard in Duncan, and we never, ever, even once, never, ever, even once did it produce stinging nettles. And you might be thinking, I mean, is this the essential biblical principle? And my answer is, yes, it is. And uh, it came to my mind as I read a quotation several months ago from the reformer Martin Luther that I'd like to share with you. Here it is. The following statements are therefore true. Good works do not make a good person, but a good person does good works. Evil works do not make a wicked person, but a wicked person does evil works. Consequently, it is always necessary that the substance or person be good before there can be good works, and that, and that good works follow and proceed from a good person, as Christ also says, A good tree cannot bear evil fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Now, it takes a bit of time to digest all of that, and we don't have time for you to do that yourself, so I'll do it for you. Here are the the things that are being said in that quotation. First of all, he's saying this, who you are will determine what you do. Who you are will determine what you do. The kind of plant you are determines the kind of fruit you produce, whether it's plums or nettles. He's also saying this, that action follows character. Actions are an expression of character. So that you could say that actions are being true to who you are. To go back to our plum tree, we expected to harvest plums from our plum tree because the plum tree was just being true to what it is. Now here's what Jesus said about this. So let's listen further to what we see in this quotation from Jesus on this subject. And this time I'm going to be quoting from Luke chapter 6. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes, and plums are never harvested from nettle bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. 
And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what's in your heart. So we produce fruit in keeping with who we are. A plum tree, a tree produces plums, and a nettle bush produces nettles. This is an essential biblical principle. One reason why this requires explanation and clarification is that what the Bible teaches about the spiritual life and how to live a good and fruitful life is frequently misunderstood, which is why Jesus had to clarify it in his time, and it requires clarification in ours as well. Here's an example. My mother told me that she had a great regret. When she was quite young, she had a friend who was drawn to the Christian faith. One day, her friend sadly said to her, I can't become a Christian because I have to quit smoking, and I know I can't do it. So she wants to become a Christian, but an enormous barrier blocks her way, at least as she perceives it. She believes that in order to become a Christian, she must get her act together. She must barge through this barrier. She must quit smoking. She believes that Jesus will only accept her if she's able to overcome this barrier. Otherwise, she's doomed. Do you agree with her? My mom didn't as well. But my poor mom was caught off guard and didn't know how to reply. She fumbled around, and I'm sure she did much better than she remembers. But you know how it is. Afterward, you think of all the things that you should have said. Later, she wished she had better explained to her friend that it's not about quitting smoking. This should never be a barrier. Something in your life that seems unconquerable should never be a barrier. Rather, it's entering into a life-altering relationship with Christ. I think many people see Christianity through the lens of this young woman, through the lens of rules and self-improvement, rather than the lens of grace and new creation. They don't realize that it is God who works in us to will and to act to fulfill his good purpose. That's a quotation from the Bible. That's Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. It's God who works in us to will, that is to have the inclination, and act, that is the ability, to do his good purpose. See, it isn't about rules and self-improvement. Jesus ran into a version of this misunderstanding in his own time where people, instead of pursuing this life-altering relationship with God, pursued a bunch of rules. I'm, of course, talking about the Pharisees. In the time of Jesus, the Pharisees were the rule makers, the rule keepers, and the rule enforcers. They, they meticulously tithed, for example, tithed. And tithing is giving to God 10% of everything you earn. That's biblical. Now, they tithed even to the extreme, even tithing the herbs from their gardens. Now, that's not a bad thing. But there was a problem <laughs> That is that they tithe their gardens while failing to do the greater good, loving God and loving your neighbor. This was their point of failure. And Jesus identifies this as an indicator of inward corruption. Listen to what he says to the Pharisees. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! 
You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the, the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You can't get much more blunt than that. I mean, you are like a whitewashed tomb. You're clean and tidy on the outside, but on the inside, you're corrupt. We're on the wrong track when we emphasize rules and self-improvement, while at the same time missing a genuine encounter with God that truly changes the inner self. Uh, I think we may fail to grasp that God is in the business of transforming people. Now, Rod has been emphasizing this as he's been talking about vision in recent weeks. He's been emphasizing this idea of the transforming work of God, transforming our world as he transforms us. So as he transforms us, we're able to be transformative in our community and beyond. God wants us to be changed so that we think and care about and ultimately do the things that really matter. He says, that is, Jesus says, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what's in your heart. That's what Jesus wants to address. What is in your heart? Heart here refers to your inner self. Not that dressed up version, but the deep down real you. As one commentator puts it, the heart is the inner being of a person or an individual out of which attitudes and values come. It's not the superficial self, but the authentic self. So Jesus is saying that our inner self will shape our outer self. Now here's some everyday parallels. I love hiking, I really do. I know that it can be tough, and there are times, especially on a hot day, and you're slogging off a slope, and you're thinking, why do I do this? Nevertheless, I love, love hiking, so what do I do? I hike. I love the outdoors, so I spend time outdoors. I love gardening, so I spend hours in our yard working on it. I, I'm interested in birds, so I study the habits, calls, and the distinctive features of birds. I love Jesus, so what do I do? I, I obey him, and I study him, and I follow him. Now, this love comes from within. And, and as I read scripture, I believe that God placed that desire in my heart. It is God who works in us to will and to act to fulfill his good purpose. So that God changes my heart, and that then reorients my, reorients my desires and by life direction. That's an essential biblical truth. God changes my heart, and then that reorients my, my desires and my life direction. Now let's take a run at this from a different angle. There's a, there's a parallel passage that's really helped me understand what we're talking about here this morning, and it's found in in Psalm 37, verse 4, here's, here's what the psalmist says. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Isn't that an awesome verse? 
I, I love this. But, but it's possible that it might confuse, uh, although if we understand the essential biblical principle that we're discussing here this morning, we shouldn't have any serious difficulty with this. So you might think, I desire a high-end sports car, a cottage on the lake, and a jet ski. So when you read this verse, as someone who delights in the Lord, do you wait expectantly for the delivery of that sports car and the keys to the cottage? I mean, we know it doesn't work that way. I mean, if you haven't yet discovered this, let me be the Grinch who wrecks, wrecks Christmas for you. This verse isn't a recipe for getting things from God. This verse isn't endorsing, endorsing a Christmas wish list view of God. So how do we understand it? Well, let's ask a basic question. Why will God give you the desires of your heart? The answer rests in the first clause, because your heart is delighting in him. What does that mean? It means that we are delighting in the right thing. And so your delight is in God. And when you delight in God, he gives you what you desire. He gives you what you desire because your desires are in alignment with his will and his presence in your life. It's like what Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And when you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, you get what you desire. So our desires are for God and our desire, desires are in alignment with his will and plan. And the will of, and plan of God may or may not include a sports car and a cottage. It may, but does it matter? Because what you want is what God wants. And what God wants is for you to live a good and fruitful life. So let's go back to what Jesus said to the Pharisees, because there's something really important here to give us greater insight into this issue. So we'll go back to Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mill, spices, mint, dill, and cumin. Like I said, like they're tithing their garden herbs. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Like, you know, love God and love your neighbor. You should have practiced the latter, that is, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, without neglecting the former, tithing. You blind guides, you straighten out a gnat but swallow a camel. Okay, now that's like a little proverb. Uh, it has the idea of you straining out something very tiny but swallowing something huge. And what it means, this little proverb, means that you're emphasizing the wrong things. Like you're obsessing over the trivial and you're ignoring the important. He goes on. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. That's again another proverb, a little proverb. Don't be hypocritical by obsessing over trivial rules when the inner self is so much more significant. They tithed meticulously. But they neglected the most important aspects of God's law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They cleaned the outside of their lives by following microscopic level laws. But they're full of greed and self-indulgence. 
So they follow certain rules, but they worship stuff and they indulge themselves. And that's why he says, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. What's he getting at? We need a change of heart. That's what he's saying. We need a change of heart. It's the same thing that he said back in Luke. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what's in your heart. What we need is a change of heart. Now, you can see all, all of this is interrelated. Uh, the emphasis of Jesus is on this inner change, this cleaned heart. And when our heart is cleaned, our actions are then in accord with his will and his righteousness. But here's the thing. You can't get there alone. Now, this is a parallel biblical, essential biblical truth. You can't get there alone. This isn't about rules and self-improvement. We need to remember that Jesus said elsewhere, if you remain in me, me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This isn't a matter of improving ourselves. It's not like my, my mother's friend who thought that she had to conquer smoking in order to be able to become a Christian, and she knew she couldn't do it. When we go it alone, we're up against this wall, and the wall isn't smoking. It's the wall of our stubborn, change-resistant hearts. That's why the Bible uses language like new birth and new creation to describe what it means to have a change of heart. Here's an example. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciles us to himself through Christ. Observe two things. Observe the newness. When we are in Christ, we become a new creation. We are inwardly transformed. The inside of the cup and dish is cleaned. Notice as well, second, God does it. All this is from God. Because the transformative action is God. Okay, we come to that part of the sermon where we're going to ask the so what question. What do we do with this? Now, I'd like to um, walk you through our response to this essential biblical truth today is to reflect on something John the Baptist said. And he made this statement, which is recorded in Luke chapter 3, verse 8. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. I believe this is an, a key application to our essential biblical principle. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Now here's how I understand it. The fruit I see in my life begins with repentance. When I first came to know Jesus in my life, I repented of the wrong in my life as I understood it, and I received his grace of forgiveness and new birth. I became, at that point, a new creation. That's where it began. It begins with us being aware of our helplessness to change, our helplessness to conquer the sin that we see in ourselves. 
That, that self-awareness does not lead us to despair, like that young woman who threw up her hands and concluded, I can't quit smoking, so I can't become a Christian. No, this, this self-awareness does not lead us to despair, because sin is not an immovable barrier. I mean, listen again to 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciles us to himself through Christ. Who does the reconciling? So God reaches down in his mercy and he rescues us. And what do we do? In faith, we confess our sin and our helplessness, and we ask God to forgive us our sin. And God grants that request and begins in us a new creation work, rooted in the redemptive work Jesus accomplished through his death and resurrection, and that's the beginning of the fruit in keeping with repentance. And for some of us here today, that's the first step you need to take. And I pray that you would take that step here this morning. Don't think that there is anything at all in your life too big or too bad for God. There is no immovable barrier that will hinder God's grace. And for many, we've already taken that step and we're already journeying. And aren't we thankful that God is transforming us? And aren't we thankful for the good he's working in us and then through us? And aren't we thankful for the fruitfulness we see? But we also have to admit that we have a long way to go. Like this prayer of John Bailey that many of us could pray as well. I'm bitterly ashamed, O God, that always I must be confessing to thee my forgetfulness of thee, the feebleness of my love for thee, the fitfulness and listlessness of my desire. Do you ever pray something like that? Do you ever experience something like that? So here we are, new creations, and we struggle. Here we have a new clean heart. It should be easy, shouldn't it? But it's not. And there are times when we feel deeply ashamed. Now, I want to share something of a spiritual discipline that's really helped me. Bill Bright wrote a little book, booklet, uh, that he called spiritual breathing, which I found hugely helpful when I was a college student. It goes like this. So you do wrong. Let's just say that you get unnecessarily ruffled with someone, and you get angry, and you know you're overreacting, and you're not displaying the fruit in keeping with repentance. So what do you do? Well, of course, one step is to get right with the other person. But what else can you do? Well, you can beat yourself up and feel depressed and hang your head in shame, go around feeling super defeated. You could do that. Or you could practice spiritual breathing, which is way more productive. When we do wrong and violate that which God is doing within us, and yes, we feel ashamed and defeated, we breathe out a confession to God. That's the breathing out part. We, we don't hide anything. We don't make excuses for ourselves to lessen our, our feeling of guilt. We don't blame the other person. No, we, we fully acknowledge our sin, our part of it, our sin before God. 
complete and utter transparency. Then, then we come to the breathing in part. So what we do is we breathe in his grace. His grace is twofold. One is his grace of forgiveness because he says he is faithful and just. He will forgive you your sin. We breathe in his, his grace of forgiveness. And the second part of it is we breathe in his strength to change our inner self, to continue the new creation work that he's begun. We breathe out confession. We breathe in his grace. Now, now needless to say, being a new creation is not equal to being perfect. Uh, that day is in the future when Jesus radically transforms us when he returns. Yet, we are called to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And we do that by God's grace, through his forgiveness and through his transforming power within us. Now, I'm going to end this message with a prayer that comes from the Psalms. The Psalm is 141, verse 4, if you want to find it later. 141, verse 4. Let me read it, and then we'll pray it. Do not let my heart, okay, that inner self, do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil, so that I take part in wicked deeds along with those who are evildoers. Do not let me eat their delicacies. Okay, so let's pray that together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil so that I take part in wicked deeds along with those who are evildoers. Do not let me eat their delicacies, but may I walk in your forgiving, transforming grace as your new creation. In the name and power of Christ, amen. Well, thank you for being here today. Thank you for worshiping with us. And may God bless you as you practice spiritual breathing this week. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship sermon podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.